0: Oh man, are you guys, listen, from what I've heard, Classroom 3 is the rowdiest classroom that there is, is that true? holy cow we are ready we are ready we're ready um you uh probably don't know me my name they chose me to intro this session because my name is actually also matt and so man i'm just really excited about that and i'm from a land called nebraska okay anybody ever heard of nebraska all right one of us yes everybody else is like where is that Anyway, guys, it is my privilege to introduce to you Matt Fry, who is obviously on the ARC lead team. Um, he and his wife pastor a church C3 in North Carolina, which is a uh, much greater vacation destination than Nebraska. But uh, he is uh, he's going to share from his heart with us today. Also, I want to let you know, because most of us do, he uh, recently released a book called I Am it is fantastic but he graciously said that if we wanted to you if you have a copy with you or you'd like to pick up a copy they've got some here he would stay and write a personalized uh note for you so i think that's pretty awesome afterwards and he said he'd hang out as long as you guys want to stay so if you guys would welcome honor and give it up for matt fry
1: thank you thank you thank you you guys are awesome awesome uh, thank you Matt. Anytime Matt introduces Matt. That's awesome right? That's right. Um, so you guys doing well? Do you have a little bit of energy to, for one more session this afternoon? Awesome, awesome. Last year I was across the uh, hallway at that, that other venue and it was packed out. So I knew when they told me I was in this room this could be packed out. So I'm glad you guys are able to make it in here. My wife Martha's over here. We've been, she's amazing. We've been married for almost 26 years. It'll be 26 years in May. And she helped start the church with me almost 20 years ago. And uh, she's been right along the side. I mean, she is just, she's a warrior for the king. Uh, She shared yesterday, if you're in the ladies breakout session, that she was pregnant with my son, Caleb, who's over here in the corner. He's 19. And it's my daughter, Caroline. She's 21. And she was pregnant with Caleb. And uh, she led worship as well, all right. Are there any church planners in here? Church planners? all right. Church planners' wives, or, oh, or, all right, cool. Our staff wives, <laughs> all right. How many of you are volunteers, by the way? Raise your hand, you're like, you're dream teamers. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, I think half of the conference, about 50% of the conference are non-paid staff. Like they're they're like dream teamers. So that's pretty awesome that you guys are here. So she was pregnant with Caleb and we had a guest worship team from Liberty University that just so happened to be already pre scheduled to lead worship. We were in a little elementary school, people with about 100 people, elementary school cafeteria with about 100 people. And we had that band scheduled to come lead worship. And so Caleb was born Friday. And then 10 days later, she's back up leading worship. She missed one Sunday <laughs> with a two-day-old, and then I don't know that you've other than vacation and normal trips. Like she's just right there, leading the way. She's amazing. She leads uh, our freedom ministries at C. If you're familiar with Church of the Highlands, a model of freedom, and it's incredible. And Caroline is also she's my personal assistant. So how blessed am I to have my daughter as my personal assistant? She graduated from highlands college and i said please chris send her back please send her back but anyways i'm going to talk to you about how to reach your city without losing your mind is that cool and uh i'm going to focus a lot on how not to lose your mind (laughs) because i have lots of examples um i do serve on the arc lead team and uh, it's just been a privilege to be a part of the arc lead it's a family right So we do life together. Um, I was just real quick. I was a lonely pastor. Our church was about three years old. We started in 1998. Uh, I had no network. We we didn't start with the ark. The ark didn't exist then. And so we just started and we're reaching people for Christ and, and exciting things were happening. God did a miracle. He gave us a big old tobacco field, 33 acres initially. And And we built our first building. I mean, it's a a three-and-a-half-year-old church. We're entering our first building, a 20,000-square-foot facility. It was a miracle. We got kicked out of the elementary school, so we had no other option. Either we need to buy some land and build or relocate like 10 or 15 miles. So we just stepped out in faith. God gave us some land, and we built that first building. But in the process, from the school to the church, we lost about 100 people. I'm still not exactly sure why. Maybe it was the transition from like a smaller model. Because when our church hit about four or five hundred people in context, uh, we were already the largest church in our county. Like most of our, all of our churches, like family churches, like where grandma went there and cemetery out front, you know that kind of flow. And so it was probably kind of beyond what they were used to. Uh, Maybe it was because, uh, you know, they maybe thought I was getting more power because the church, I don't know, we were asking for money that probably impacted, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because we're we're desperate to raise money for the building. Uh, So that may have been part of it. But whatever the case was, we lost about 100 people in that transition. We grew from about five to 600 but about a hundred people slipped out the back door, and some of those were with me from the early days, and it was like ripped my heart out. I was so lonely, so discouraged. I, I really, I'm not lying to you. I really wanted to quit. I didn't want to quit on God, and I didn't want to quit on the ministry. I wanted to quit being a senior pastor because I'd been a youth pastor for 13 years, and I knew what that was like. So I wanted to go back to doing something like that. <laughs> I'll go back and support another man's vision. So somebody told me about Seacoast Church in Charleston, South Carolina. So I contacted Greg Surratt. I went down, he agreed to meet with me. He didn't know who I was, we'd met briefly one time. Greg Surratt, of course, is the uh, president and founder of the ARC. And went down there to Charleston, this is 2002. Spent a couple of days with him, we went golfing. I don't golf, but they said, if you want to hang out with Greg, he golfs on Monday. So we went golfing on Monday. It was a disaster as far as I was concerned. It was, it was horrible because every ball had the name of somebody who'd left the church on it. So I'm just like, you know, hammering it all over the place. It was, it was horrible. Greg said, his phrase of the day was, uh, well, that shot wasn't too bad. That was about as good as it got. We're sitting in the coffee shop, I'm complaining to Greg, I'm telling him about how much it hurts and how discouraged I am. And, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking he's not listening to me, right? And because he's just being really quiet. And then he says, well, you know what, Matt, people come and people go. So I thought, I don't think he really hears what I'm saying. So I explained it at another level, like these people left and they said bad things about me and they hurt me. And, you know, uh, it's not true and all this kind of stuff. And, and he's like, Matt, people come and people go. He just kept saying that. We're sitting in a Starbucks in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. He said, Matt, people come, people go. And then he said, you see that storefront across the street? That's people that got mad at me and left Seacoast and went and started another church. He said, if you want to be a part of a growing church, you're not going to keep everybody forever. Some people, they're not going to stay with you forever. It gave me enough confidence, and along with my wife Martha. She says, God's called us to this. You cannot quit. God's given you a vision. You're not going to quit. Who you marry is very important, by the way. And so she she uh, came alongside and supported that, came back and re-engaged. That was 2002. And now God has just, we've seen 8,000 people saved in our 20 years. And uh, just God's done amazing things. So uh, we're out, kind of in the outskirts of, of, of outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. You can come find us. You'll think you got lost, and then you'll see our church, right? <laughs> Where am I? You'll see cows and tobacco farms and then there's our church and so it's we call it the miracle on a tobacco field but I would not I just say that because I want to show some honor I would not be where I am right now if it wasn't for the ark I would be a lonely discouraged pastor and so if you're going to go if you're going to get through the hard times you got to have life do life with other people and you have to be honest so I'm going to share a few things with you that have got me through the hard times number one if you're taking notes uh, be authentic you've got to be yourself uh Senior pastors, raise your hand if you're a senior pastor. Okay, we've got one, just two, two senior, this is Tim Timberlake, by the way, he's he's amazing, leads a great church in outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, you've got to be yourself, when we first started C3, I did not know who I was, I'd only been a youth pastor, so I didn't know how to be a senior pastor, I was, what does was that look like? So I, I was trying to imitate other people, you know, I tried to like preach like other people, and and so uh, I, I, would, I would hear Bill Hybels, and so I would, I would try to teach, like, Bill Hybels, and, and that didn't really kind of work because he's kind of corporate, like, suit and tie kind of. And then I would hear uh, Rick Warren. So I'm embarrassed to say, many of you guys have ever heard of Rick, Rick Warren, Purpose Driven Life, uh, Saddleback Church. So back then, especially, all the time, he wore, like, Hawaiian shirts, right? And you sit on a stool. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I'll do that, you know? <laughs> and so I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I wore a Hawaiian shirt and I sat in a stool and Martha's like, what are you doing? Like, I don't what's going on here. Who are you? And so I don't know. And, uh, you know, I would hear TD Jake's preach and I'm like, uh, I'm too white for that. I don't think I can do that. Right. <laughs> how many you know, I could not be John Gray. That would just like, like <laughs> that would just not work. It would be a disaster. Oh, by the way, one time I was speaking at a church in Mississippi uh, uh, Jason Delgado, great church down in, in Mississippi. And it was a Wednesday night service. The place was packed. They had overflow. Overflow was packed. And and he said, now we got this Hammond, we call it Hammond B3, right? Have one of those Hammond B3 organs. He says, now if if you want, I, he, he'll play behind you. I said, okay, let's do it. I mean, I've never done that before but that sounds kind of fun. I mean, I've seen Stephen Furtick do it, so I thought, well, maybe I can do it, right? <laughs> and so, so he's... The, this is not a joke. This is a true story. So he's up there with the organ, and, and I'm preaching and stuff, and I'm looking over, and he's not playing. And I'm preaching, and I get done, and eventually I kind of forgot that he was even up there, and I got done. I was like, wait a second. I so told Pastor Jason, I said, that organist never played one note, but he sat up there the entire time. He said, you never gave me anything to work with. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize there has to be a rhythm to it. You got to like, you know, I was just like teaching, teaching, teaching. He's like, you got to give me some rhythm here, man. You got you to get into a flow, right? So I realized I'm not the organ preacher. That's just not, I'll stick to what I'm good at. But you got to be authentic. You got to be real. We, at C3, we have a phrase, a vision that says we want to provide real hope for real people in a real world. And when I relaxed as a pastor, and you can relate this to whatever role you 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 serve on your church, whenever I decided I'm going to relax, I'm going to be a Matt Fry, I'm going to be the best version of Matt Fry that I can be, yeah. that's when the church started growing, and that's when people started connecting with me. They're like, I like this church. Why? It wasn't because we had phenomenal music, and it certainly wasn't because we had a great venue, we're meeting in an elementary school cafeteria, and they're sitting in elementary school chairs, our kids met in the hallways, with no heat, no air conditioning, you didn't come to our church because it was convenient, or because it was a a comfortable worship environment, but people started coming, coming because they connected with authenticity, they're like, this is a place where it's real, it's not religious, it's not fake, and by the way, can I remind you that being fake is exhausting? because you have to re- remember who you were fake with and how, what version of you you were fake with that person. And then it's like, then you have to be a different type of fake with that person. And it's exhausting. It's just a lot easier and, and more powerful if you just relax and be yourself. Look to somebody and say, be, just relax. <laughs> <laughs> just relax. <laughs> James, chap- James chapter five, verse 16. James 5 verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So confess your sins, which is being authentic, and you will be what? Healed. Healed. When I first read that scripture, I thought, you know, for a long time, I thought, wait a second, I thought only God heals. Well, God does heal, but he heals as we're authentic and real with each other. We take off the mask we stop trying to pretend like we're something that we're not and we're, we're ourselves i heard about a guy who couldn't find a job he looked everywhere for a job he's desperate finally found a job opening at a zoo he, and he went to, for an interview and the i'm sorry that position's already been filled there's nothing we don't have anything he said i'm desperate do you have anything the guy thought for a second he said well we do have an opening for a gorilla when we lost our gorilla and if you'll dress up like a gorilla, then, then until we find one, we'll pay you. We'll pay you well, right? So he thought, I'll take it. I have nothing else. So he dresses up like a gorilla. And he's like starting to think like he really is a gorilla, like he's going around the, the cage. Ooh, he's faking all the kids. They think he's really a gorilla. And by this time, he's like really playing the part. And all of a sudden, this lion comes over across yes. the fence and jumps into his cage. And he freaks out. He starts screaming, starts yelling. The line says, shut up or we'll both get fired. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a too exhausting to, to be fake. Um, I had been a pastor for many years, and you know, Martha and I really believe in that God heals and He sets free. And but I realize even personally for for leaders, God wants to heal us. Yeah. And He wants to set us free. You know, salvation is immediate, but freedom is a journey. And I'll never forget, um, we, Martha, for several years, she, Martha uh, just has an amazing ministry. She came out of some, a healing herself, some freedom herself. I'm not going to tell her story, but she was set free from some pain and hurt from, from, her, child, from her childhood. She started a, a girls group and kind of helping them get set, th- set free. Then we discovered the freedom curriculum from Church of the Highlands and and, and their uh, kind of their flow and their connect groups. And so we did a pilot freedom group with our staff. We'll just kind of see what it looks like, and some of our key leaders, about 50 people. And so that first year, if you're familiar with that, uh, we, th- th- it ends with a conference at the end of the semester. So we didn't have, we didn't do our own conference. So we came to Birmingham. We drove from North Carolina to Birmingham for uh, the Freedom Conference to kind of see what it was like. And so I'm a pastor. I'm just kind of checking everything out and kind of observing and and seeing if this might be something that we would do. I was really kind of like just kind of. Um, more of observation mode, not really entering in. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm trying to decide and determine that this is something we're going to do at our church. And if you know how how it flows, that you go up and get prayed for, like like seven times and anointed with oil, and which is really powerful. And uh, there was one particular one, I think it was on uh, like sexual abuse or, or or something like that. And I remember thinking to myself. I really don't need to go up on this one, you know, because I really don't have anything in this. Like the other ones I could say, well, I can kind of, you know, but but there were a couple of things. First of all, they kind of force you to go up there because it's like <laughs> everybody from Europe has to go up, so it'd be kind of obvious. And the second thing, I'm the pastor, right? And everybody's looking at me like it would be kind of awkward if I didn't go up, right? So I went up and I kind of did the whole going through the motions thing and they're praying over me. And I kid you not, as they're praying for me, the Holy Spirit reminded me of something that happened to me when I was in high school where I had been abused and violated by a friend that I trusted. And, and I buried it so, so deep. This sounds crazy. To, I buried it so deep that I'd forgotten about it. And anytime it would even kind of creep up a little bit, I would I would just kind of blow it off as no big deal. But the Holy Spirit shined the light, and I just began to cry and weep. And you know, I, Afterwards, Martha said, well, what did you think about the conference? And I was like... Uh, so so I shared with her what the Holy Spirit revealed, and uh, I said, "But I'm not going to share my story like you do, you know, because she shares her story in sermons and stuff like that." I said, "I'm not like you. I'm, this is never going to come out in a sermon or or a book or or anything <laughs> like that. This is th- I'm not going to tell anybody else." This is be-. she's okay. Okay, she kind of smiled. She's very sweet about it. okay. Okay. <laughs> that was I guess December, and then I decided to lead a a men's freedom connect group somewhere in the middle of that connect group week four, week five. I'm going to try to say this without crying, but I handpicked some guys that I trusted. You know, it's like make sure I had some guys in my group that we trust. And still it was kind of under the radar. Wasn't it? It wasn't even church wide yet. And somewhere in that session, the Holy spirit just kind of pushed me and I told them what I, what I just told you. And even with a little bit more detail, and one by one, these men started saying, this happened to me, and this happened to me. They started taking off the mask and starting to get set free. And I thought, man, this is what it's all about. This is what James is talking about. Confess your sins to each other. Confess your hurts. Confess that pain. And you will be healed in the healing that took place, not just in my life, but in that group of men. And now hundreds of people have been set free. And then later on, we did the conference ourselves. And at the last minute, Martha and I switched sessions for some reason, like the, the, the morning of or the night before. And she said, hey, l- it makes more sense for you to teach this with me. I said, yeah, I agree with you because, you know, the, I was going to teach two or three in a row or vice versa. I can't remember. And, and so I end up teaching the session on, on shame. A purity. The same one that the Holy Spirit, you know, spoke to me about. But I'm not going to share my story because that would be really awkward and embarrassing. Well, as I'm speaking, although it wasn't in my notes, the Holy Spirit prompted me. Boom. And here out comes the pain that I'd gone through. And then afterwards, there's a bunch of guys that come up to me and said, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that. And just even at a broader level, and then later on it came out in a sermon, right? So, and it's in the book, I Am, so <laughs> it's all over the place now. But I'm just here to tell you personally, you know, I've been, been a pastor for, what, 17 years at the time, senior pastor, in ministry for years. But there was this, this, this thing from my past that still I had not been healed from. And you know what? I realized that I'm still going through healing. It's like, it's like peeling off one layer of the onion at a time. And the Holy Spirit continues to remind, and it's not a bad thing. It's an awesome thing, right? It's an amazing journey. And I'm just here to tell you that if you're going to make it in the long haul, you got to be authentic. You got to have a safe place to, with some friends that you can be honest with, you can be transparent with, you can you can share with the hurts from your past, and and be set free. Amen, everybody. Amen. All right, let me look at my notes. What's number two? I need to reset my iPad so it stays awake right number two is have margin have margin this is something I'm just still trying to be sure I stay consistent with but to have margin in every area of my life and really honestly if I were to be honest with you this, this is one mistake that I probably made in my leadership is sometimes I will I I'm what you call in one of the personality tests I'm an activator right mm-hmm. Like if I see a need, I'm just going to, in fact, unfortunately, Martha and I are both activators. So <laughs> <laughs> it, activator would be like, you ever heard the phrase ready, sh- shoot, aim, <laughs> right? That That's us, right? It's like, just go for it. We, God will provide later on. And uh, and that's not a good way to to live. You need to have margin in your life. If you're living at 100% all the time, then you're, you're not going to make it. You cannot stay going 100 miles an hour seven days a week. God never, that's not how he planned it. That's not how he wants us to live. In fact, he tells us that he gives us a Sabbath, right, one day a week. And that's probably one of the Ten Commandments that we think is optional, right? We don't think murder is optional or adultery is optional, but, but you know, honor the Sabbath. And, and that, there's a reason for that, because we need to take at least one day a week to rest and have margin in our lives. So the other six days can be more successful. Have you ever tried to pull through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru on a Sunday? It's just so frustrating, right? But they are more blessed by being closed on Sunday, right? They, they have more business by being open six days a week, and I guarantee you their employees are probably a lot more fulfilled and happy because they're only open six days a week, right? So there's there's some truth to that. Um, i just one mistake that I made was we, we launched a campus. We launched a campus in Raleigh several years ago, and it was premature. Um, I was a little bit uh, more focused on, I was more impressed with my opinion than other people's opinions around me. And we launched out ahead of schedule, fast-tracked somebody in leadership, and, and we had to eventually pull that campus back in and shut that campus down after about nine months. And I looked, and there was about 350 people on that campus. There were over 60 people that got saved in nine months. It wasn't because it wasn't successful as far as results. You would say, wow, if I could have a campus running 350 in less than nine months and 60 people saved, that would be, why would you shut that down? Because there was no margin. We didn't have a, a good game plan ahead of time. And so I'm just telling you, no matter how, uh, how fruitful you might think it is, if you don't have margin, you're going to burn out. And it's not going to last the long haul. Uh, Pastor Chris Hodges did a great job last night, didn't he? Yes. Amen. He shared some stats with us. Uh, he said that 90% of pastors feel inadequate. And when you see when you hear pastors, uh, most surveys also include like ministers. So it's not just senior pastors, but it's all pastors and ministers on staff, right? 90% feel inadequate. 50% want to quit. He said, only one out of 10 will retire as a minister. And I I looked up, I did some research and the most conservative survey that I could find, the most conservative, was that there's at least 250 pastors that leave the ministry every month in America. That's conservative. Some go up to 1,000 or more. 250 quit the ministry every month. So if we don't have margin... In our life, it's no wonder our marriages aren't going to be healthy. Our families aren't going to be healthy. I think you even shared some stats about how, or at least I read some stats about how pastors' kids, you know, are jealous of their of the church because you know the much time their their parents or their dad spends at the church. And of course, you probably heard stories of, uh, of of wives who feel like the the church is the pastor's mistress. And and uh, you know, you got to have margin. And I just decided a long time ago, I want to have fun doing ministry. And that's a lot more fun if you have some margin in your time, right? And so if you're married, have a date night. Say, I don't have time to have a date night. Just put it on the calendar. When our kids were little, we would have a stay-at-home date night. And sometimes those were the best ones, right? Put the kids to bed, light a candle, have a little whatever you can make. (laughs) A little cheeseburger or something, whatever. Some spaghetti. Have some dinner, spend time together. Uh, make a decision. You're going to do things daily, weekly, monthly, annually, and even several years, uh, the, every few years that you're going to do to take care of yourself. So, obviously, every day, spend time with Jesus. Every week, take a sabbath every month what are you doing monthly to take care of your life and to to have margin when our kids were little and growing up we'd have a family night once a month and we would rotate the kids and they would they would kind of choose what what that that family night looked like and uh, so they we would like have a theme sometimes like Mexican night or or game night and they would kind of choose and, and so we had a lot of fun with that and they would look forward to those those once a month and then once a year what are you gonna do once a year as a church we do 21 days of prayer and fasting we kick off every year with 21 days of prayer and fasting make sure you spend time with your family once a year uh, and Martha and I for years get get together and go off on a mountaintop of marriage where you spend time kind of praying through the year and and looking at what we're believing God for, for that throughout that year. There's a great resource by Jimmy Evans called Mountain Top of Marriage that's a valuable resource for that. And then what are you gonna do every few years, you know, as, as pastors and leaders, uh, encourage you to maybe take a sabbatical or take a take an extra two or three weeks off if you can. Put if you can somehow set aside the resources so you can take care of yourself over the long haul. The next one is having an empowering culture. These are just things that, that I have learned and honestly am still learning because if we're going to make it the long haul, if we're going to not lose our mind while we're reaching our city, while we're making a difference, uh, we've we got to do these things and have an empowering culture. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, you, there my, my son, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul tells Timothy, you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Now entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There is an empowering culture there that if if I have to control every detail, I'm going to limit what God can do in my life, what God can do in my church, what God can do in my ministry. But I've learned that We've got to recruit, train, and then empower them, and then release them. And this is something that I'm learning how to be okay with. Because I-, I like things to be done a certain way. How many of you are like that? Like when you ask somebody to do something, you want it done a certain way. And if like if you're not gonna do it right, I'm gonna do it myself, Amen. right? Well, that's sometimes how I can be, but I've learned how to do, use the 80% rule. If it's 80% of what I would do now, it begin it, as long as they don't violate the vision and they don't violate the values. All right. So they have to be in line with the vision and they're not violating a value at C3 and in our church. If it's 80% of what I would do, the 20% is usually preference. They want to start a different time. They want to use a different color, they want to set the chairs different. They want to organize they, maybe the speaker they have would be a little different than I would choose, or the music, song selection might be that's not I, I'm empowering them. Mm-hmm. And what happens is when we empower that, if you've ever been empowered by somebody, all of a sudden now you have ownership. Yeah. Like you own it. Yeah. And guess what the promotion is like? I mean they're talking it up like crazy because it's their baby. And they own it. So we, we're learning how to be okay with that, that 20% that's different and empower people. That's what Paul, I believe, is saying to Timothy. Entrust the faithful men. They may not do it the exact same way, but find some faithful men, faithful women that you can, that you can entrust with. They're not going to violate the vision and values and empower them so that we can reach the world for Christ. Right? If we're not going to reach the world for Christ by just having one leader, dictating to everybody else what to do, but empowering people so they can live out the vision and purpose. You know what I've discovered sometimes? A lot of times they do it better than I would do that. 20% is not worse. That 20% sometimes better than what I would do. I'm like, Oh my goodness, they tapped into something that's better than what I would even have done. You ever help somebody and then they surpass you. I mean, that's just, I've helped other church, other church planners break through like barriers and then they come back and how are things going? And they're like double my size. I'm like, that's not fair. Like I helped you break the 500 barrier, and now you've got six campuses, you know. And I had to shut mine down, you know. So be okay with that 20 percent, because it actually might be better than what what you've done, right? We we assume that we have it all figured out. That if if it's going to be done right, then we're going to have to do it, and our way is the best way. It's not necessarily the best. I believe that God wants to do greater things in the next generation. I'm believing that that my kids will be accomplish greater things than I ever dreamed of, and then their kids will accomplish things greater than they could have ever dreamed of. And I forget, my dad. I grew up in a in a home. My dad was a pastor and grew up in a Christian home. And growing up, uh, I would call my dad on Sunday afternoons. And my dad pastored a church, but the church that he pastored never was over like 400 people. I mean that was in our denomination that I grew up in. Four hundred people was a was a huge church, right? And so I'll never forget calling him on a Sunday afternoon and, hey dad, we broke the 500 barrier. He's like, My dad would be like, "Was that the best you can do, son?" <laughs> that was a compliment from him, you know. Dad, we broke a thousand barrier. I remember like we reached a point. I think it was like a thousand. He couldn't even comprehend that. It was almost like it was illegal, to have that many. Like, are you are you compromising or something? How are you how are you reached that many people? But he, he never dreamed like what God has done in my generation is beyond anything he ever could imagine. And I'm believing that for the generation coming behind me that that where where they receive it, it's just going to be the foundation. And like a church of 100,000 is going to be like just normal. Yeah, amen. Right. Why can't we dream of like reaching the whole world for Christ? Amen. amen? Um, and I just put in here communication is the key. When you're talking about that 20% and, and there's maybe there's something in that 20%, maybe they do violate a value. You have to have communication and say, hey, listen, there was a lot of things right about what you did, but I noticed like the value of excellence was was really kind of compromised. Uh, you started five minutes late. That's kind of not how we flow. I mean, you can st- start the start time whenever you want, six thirty, 7, 7.30 or whatever, but you, we will start on time, Right. So communication is the key. You don't just empower them and then just ignore whenever they violate a value or vision, right? So we empower them, but then there's also communication. And don't blow it under the carpet and talk about them behind their back, especially the other staff or whatever, when you should be talking to them. Does that make sense? All right, I have one more. And I can't talk about how to reach your city without losing your mind without talking about this and I think this is true not just for pastors, not just for staff, but for for all of us, is we must understand who we are in Christ. Yeah. We must understand. We must live a life of security knowing who we are in Christ. I was um, in i was in youth ministry at the time. I'd been in, serving in youth ministry for a few years. Martha and I were married, and we had... Uh, how many? We only had two. We had one or two. Both of them were born. Right. And uh, I was youth pastor at a church in South Carolina. And there was kind of a parting of a ways. Right. There was, a, it, was a, it was it wasn't a good fit for me. It was a traditional Baptist type flow. And I didn't I didn't know who I was at the time. I just knew that wasn't the flow that I was. And so it was pretty obvious. So we kind of parted ways. So the end result was I was out of a job. I share this in the I in am the book. And I didn't, have, I didn't have anywhere to go. Martha and I, for the first time, we're just like, we're churchless. We don't have a church. And, and so I find myself uh, on the weekends traveling, speaking at churches, calling my buddies saying, hey, do you need, some, need me to speak for something? I, I, I don't have a job, you know. I don't know what else to do, but, but come and help you in your church. And so I did everything from, like, youth retreats. I spoke at a senior adult banquet. Come on, somebody. That was one of my favorite things, man. I just got up and told jokes and they loved it. It was just awesome. <laughs> I read a couple of poems. They thought it was fantastic, man. And um, I just, would go. but then during the week, you know, I needed to create some income. So I found a job uh, working as a part-time custodian. And the owner would give me as much freedom as I needed to be gone or be out of town. She, she understood what I was walking through. And so I was a part-time custodian throughout the week. And one of the places that I would clean was a police station. Well, the other places that I cleaned, nobody was there when I cleaned. It was, you know, nobody saw me cleaning toilets and vacuuming. But the police station was different because they had to provide security. You can't let somebody come in a police station and just, hey, help yourself. <laughs> so I'm cleaning this police station, and one in one of the offices, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I walked in this office, there's a police in, in his office, sitting at his desk, and he pulls away and he looks at me, and I said, I said, excuse me, sir, I was, uh, can I can I get that trash can from you? Now, I had a bachelor's degree. I'd been to seminary. At this time, I had like, you know, seven years of ministry experience. That's all I knew. And here I am, sir, can I get that trash can from you? He looked at me and said, wait a second, don't I know you? Aren't you the youth pastor of that church down the street? And I said, well, I used to be. And I kind of changed the subject and said, well, can I get that trash can from you? And so I ended the trash can, and I went home, and it was, I just remember feeling just so like, who am I? Like my whole life, I, I felt like I had identity. And I, in fact, I was youth, Matt Fry, the youth pastor. And, and I thought, in my mind, this was a prestigious church. It was one of the larger churches in the city. If you said, hey, I'm the youth pastor at such and such church, like, oh, wow, you're, the, you're somebody. You know, I kind of felt like I was somebody. Why? Because I was the youth pastor at that church. Now that was taken away from me. Now who am I? So I go home and I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of discouraged. I'm reading through Philippians, and I came to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, where Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship in his suffering. As I was reading that, I was like, Lord, yes, I want the power of your resurrection, and I want to know you. But then the next part says, but you must be willing to fellowship in my what? Suffering. Suffering. I was like, Lord, I don't want the suffering. (laughs) I've had enough of that already. Can I just have the power? (laughs) And he said, Matt, what I'm trying to do to you is you're going through some hard times right now so I can show you who you are. You're not Matt Fry, the youth pastor. You're Matt Fry, a child of God. You're Matt Fry, a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus who just so happens to be a youth pastor or fill in the blank. But that's not your identity. You're a child of God. Can I tell you the security that, that brought me? And has carried me throughout. I looked at my life, and all my life I had been wearing these titles. My identity was la- connected to a title or a label. And that was my security. And then when that was taken away, I was devastated. And I've discovered, and even through sharing the message of, of the I Am book, that not only pastors and leaders, but everybody struggles with finding out who they are in Christ. And so we need to do two things, right? We must discover who we are in Christ. Everybody say discover. And then second of all, we must declare who we are in Christ. Everybody say declare. A lot of people, uh, even in this room, you probably say, well, this isn't new information to me. I know who I am in Christ. I am a child of God. I've sung the worship song and everything. I know who I am, right? But the second part is equally important. Not only should we discover who we are in Christ, I am a child of God, but then every day declare who we are in Christ. There is power in declaring who we are in Christ. If you, if you don't declare, if I don't declare who I am in Christ, guess what? The devil's going to try to fill my head with lies and declare what he wants me to think I am. Yeah. Yeah. I can either declare what he says, he says, you know, we're the label of shame. I'm filled with shame because of what happened to me when I was in high school. It makes me feel dirty that that happened. I either can wear that label or I can take that label off and says, no, I am more than a conqueror. I am a warrior for Christ. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am God's masterpiece. And we can declare what God says about us. And so we must discover who we are and feel security in that. And then every day declare who we are in Christ. There are 31 I am declarations that I came up with. This was before the book was even an idea. Martha and I were going through some challenges uh, and in particular with the financial area and some unexpected obstacles that we were facing. We began to declare the promises of God every day. And we began to see God do miracle after miracle after miracle. Uh, It wasn't right away. (laughs) It wasn't like day one. (laughs) But in that journey, we started seeing things happen. The only way to explain it is that God did it. And I'm convinced that, there, the Bible even says, obviously, that, that there is power in our words. That our words can produce life or what? Death. Death. We can build up or we can tear down. We can encourage or we can discourage just with our words. And when the devil tries to fill your head with lies and tries to define who you are, you take those thoughts captive and say, no, no, devil, not today. I'm not going to receive that label. I'm not going to, you're not going to bring up some stuff from the past I'm not going to find my identity even in good things. I'm not going to find my identity in, in any other title. There's nothing wrong with some titles, right? I am a pastor. There's nothing wrong with saying I'm a pastor, but that's not my identity. Yeah. You take it away from me, I'm still a child of God. I may not be a, pastor, a senior pastor forever. I may transition to something else one day where I'll, I'll be able to do something different if God chooses, I'm, you know, right? I'm still still a child of God. And so our identity is not tied into a title or a position, but it's tied into who God says that you are. And when you do that and you live it out, I believe that you'll reach your city without losing your mind. Amen, everybody. Yesterday, I was talking to uh, uh, a pastor from Canada, John Burns pastor was a great church up in Vancouver, uh, Canada. And he, in fact, he's on the lead team for Art Canada, planting churches in Canada. And he said, Matt, your, your book, the I Am book, has just had a huge impact on my life and my church. And he showed me his phone. He said, let me show you on my phone. And he said, he said I have reminders on my phone. And every day I get a reminder. And I, he typed in the 31 I Am declarations on his phone. And so every day he gets a reminder of that declaration, wow. to declare that over his life. Wow. I'm like, that's amazing, right? Do you need to make an app, right? Yeah. Is there an app for that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Somebody help me with that.
2: <laughs>
1: that's right. The God will provide. Right. right. Yeah. By the way, if you if you go. If you go to mattfry.com or send your friends, maybe that's going through a hard time, send them to mattfry.com. First of all, they can get a free sample, not the entire book, but they can get a free sample of the I Am book. And there's videos on there that I posted for free. These videos are incredible. They're 15 minutes a piece. They have testimonies on there of people whose lives have been changed. I'm on there kind of narrating through some of the I Am principles, right? It's all free. They're 15 minutes a piece, plus resources as well. And uh, maybe, who knows, maybe we can figure out a way to, yeah. to do an app or somehow with those 31 I am declarations. Um, what's that? You could leave here with it. I mean, all you got to do is talk to some of these tech guys. they Isn't that the truth? Yeah, the resources in our house. Yeah. So those 31 declarations, I tell people take one every day for 31 days. And watch what God's going to do in your life over that next month. But what what ends up happening is what I do is like now once they eventually kind of get in you. And so little things. This might sound kind of silly, but I don't like the dentist. I just don't like the dentist. I don't I don't like to get a filling. I don't like to get a cleaning. I don't I don't even want them looking at me. Right? It's just I just don't like the dentist. I get nervous just see all that equipment and stuff. I Was going to the dentist uh, a while back. And I was, I'm embarrassed to say, but I was kind of anxious, right? I was just anxious. I didn't want to go. And and this dentist is amazing. He's nothing to be afraid of. And I began, to, I felt like this fear coming over me, right? And I began to declare, I am more than a conqueror. Even out loud, I am more than a conqueror. I am more than a conqueror. And all of a sudden, this faith kind of rose up within me. And, man, it, it was all, I mean, it was great. If, as good as a dentist appointment can be, and then I ended up having lunch with the dentist afterwards. And I gave him an IM book, and he ended up buying an IM book for all of his 300 employees. He bought an IM book for all of his employees, right? And so here I was all discouraged and anxious, and I ended up going, and the dentist appointment was no worries. The dentist is like, hey, by the way, I'm not going to charge him anything. I'm going to give every one of my employees an IM book. That's not a bad day at the dentist, right? Right. You might say, well, that's just a coincidence. That, w- that would have happened anyways. All I know is whenever I declare, I walked in there with probably a little bit more security because I, re- I declared I'm more than a conqueror, rather than walking there afraid and anxious, And right? I'm just telling you that it works in everyday life. You, you might have a vision to reach your city, to change your community, or just to raise your child and not go crazy, Right? Whatever wherever you are in your journey with life, there is power in discovering and declaring who we are in Christ. You want to read the thirty one, by the way? Let me read them to you? That'd be all right. In fact, I'm not gonna just read them, I'll declare them over you right now. Can I do that? Just take some time right now just to go before God. Maybe just maybe there's some labels that you've been wearing. The devil has been speaking over you and discouraging you. Labels of shame, loneliness, fear, whatever it may be. God's word says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made by a holy God. I am God's masterpiece. I am made in the image of God. I am forgiven. I am redeemed by God. I am called by name. I am a new creation. The old life is gone. I am greatly loved by God. I am his child. I am an heir of God and co-heir with Christ. I am a member of God's family. I am blessed in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart for God. I am his treasured possession. I am precious to God. I am a temple of the living God. I am full and complete, lacking nothing. I am the righteousness of God. I am his ambassador. I am free. I am healed. I am whole. I am more than a conqueror. I am a warrior for Christ. I am wanted. I am significant. I am a citizen of God's kingdom. I am sent by God. I am light in the darkness. I am a friend of God chosen by him and appointed to bear good fruit. I am his radiant bride and I am without spot or wrinkle in Jesus name. And everybody shouted. Amen. 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 You guys are awesome. And I think we're going to have some time for Q and a right now, perhaps right. Q and a. And by the way, Martha is up here as well. If you have a question for her, uh, You can ask her as well. All right?
0: If you do have questions, just raise your hand for the mic so that it can get put on the recording. I have a question. I wish I had a microphone.
2: Okay. So I'm a volunteer and I work 40 hours a week. And I'm just learning the value of the Sabbath and margin. And so, with being a high volunteer in the church and working 40 hours a week, how do you um, communicate? to the people around you, especially in the church, like the value of your Sabbath. Right. And it's not that you don't want to do everything. It's just that you have that boundary. Yeah. i answer
1: that because just preached on this this past Sunday. Yeah. All right?
2: So I think some of us um, think a Sabbath is uh, I'm going to sit in front of the TV and be a couch potato for a few hours and um, do nothing, and that's not a Sabbath at all. A Sabbath is just a change. Um, I'm going to live today differently than I do the other six, you know? And so if I can remember my sermon, um, so uh, the Sabbath should include worship. You know it includes worship and come we come one serve one you know it includes serving and and you know um and you don't do that usually the other six days so your sabbath should include worship so for example even myself sunday's not a sabbath for me it is a work day for our staff but on my Sabbath, I listen to a sermon and I and I have worship songs playing, and so it includes worship, and then um, and then it, in, it involves rest, um, and so on your Sabbath, if that's a Sunday, so after you worship one, serve one, then go home and rest. You know, take you know, take a nap, like rest or go for a walk, do something that you don't do your other six, and then replenish yourself, and you replenish yourself by. You know, maybe being quiet, get off social media maybe for a day. You know, or that you just have some quietness. If you know, just all the noises goes down a little bit, and you know, you I replenish. Some people replenish by being with people, so I have a connect group on Sunday because that's replenishing Sunday afternoon after nap and lunch and all that stuff. Um, So, but I, you know, I'm always like on my Sabbath. It's got to be around life-giving friends. If you drain me, I give you my other six, but not my Sabbath. You know what I'm saying? And I have some great people, but they drain me, you know. And and I love people. I lead our freedom groups. So I work with people through tough situations, but they don't get my Sabbath. And um, but you know, you re- what what make what's fun for you? Is it outside? Is it fishing? If is it painting? I have a good friend who paints on her Sabbath. So what refreshes you and replenishes you? And then um, and then you use your Sabbath to refocus. So let's say Sunday is your Sabbath for like your volunteers. So they come one, does they serve? One they take the afternoon to replenish and all that and then Sunday night before you start the other six mine's a Monday night before I start my other six I refocus so what do I need to get done this week I'm not I don't Kick into work mode, but I, I look at my week. What needs to get done? What, you know, where am I gonna have my quiet times? So where am I gonna exercise? What meetings are happening? What important things have to get done? Wednesday night? And all that kind of stuff. So at the end of your Sabbath, you refocus and get ready for your week. So does that kind of help? So even with your, people that work 40 40 hours a week, great. They do it six days, but their seventh day needs to look different than the other six. Think of it like this. It's like they say with exercise, if you do the same exercise all the time, I love, I don't run as much, but I used to love to run. I still do sometimes, but um, uh, just not early when it's cold. But um, when you, so if you run all the time, they say that's horrible for you because your body gets adjusted to, like, you know, and then it actually, the running does no good, right? So what do they want you to do? Run one day, do weights one day, you know? So that's what your Sabbath is. So let's say you run for six days, if I can put it in context of working out, you run six six days well then your seventh day you're going to do weights does that make sense so you're changing your sabbath is i'm going to change the way i think i'm going to stop the noise and all that kind of stuff does that help a little bit well i was just talking about how do you do the boundaries part of explaining this to other people right because where our church is really moment it's building up a lot of momentum uh-huh so like why can't you say yes because you know you're like well i have my sabbath but like, we're in a momentum period tasha right Yeah, I would just, so like, for example, I'd say, you know what, I'm, I'm serving here, and, um, and I've also got my connect group, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm full. I don't need to double dip. I don't need to triple dip. What that means is if you're asking me to double dip and work all this extra, that means, as, I, I'm just going to be blunt with you guys, that means you need to raise up more leaders. Quit pulling from the same people. Did I say that nicely? Okay, so there you go.
1: And I would just say, I, I would just say, you know, I, I'm not available. You know, it's not in their business when I'm not available. I'm going to go, I'm going to go take my kids to the park. Yeah. I'm just not available, yeah. cool. you know. Thank you. I have a question. Hey guys. Hello, David. Uh, um, you talked about uh, if it's 80%, uh, if, they, if the other person does it 80%, that's good enough. Right. Um, what are, how do you measure that? How do you know how much, like I, my point is I tend to err on the side of being too controlling. So what are some, what is, what is some advice you can give somebody with control issues? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, if it doesn't violate a vision, if it doesn't violate a value and you look at it, you're going to have to take some risk and, and debrief afterwards. Cause it might be 70%. And you're like, uh, no. And we, we had something recently we evaluated. We're like, so somebody was like, was that 80% of what you wanted? I'm like, no, it was more like about 60 we need to talk about this. Like right, this was not good. This is not something we want to repeat. There is some values that were violated. So, have just so you have to take the risk. It might not be eighty percent, or it might be beyond what you would ever have done. So you won't know unless you 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 take a risk, right? I think I think Jesus took a risk, and you know sometimes the disciples messed up, and but he didn't give up on them right help them walk through it and right you have a question we have one.
0: We'll, go, we'll go right here the
1: okay. back. on the topic of margin um, uh,
0: when you're running hard you know you started a church you're running hard and and you're growing you know so I think you placing a high value on on getting stuff done and meeting the demands and um, y- y- how do you develop or, or maybe just some of the practical things you did when you realized, man, I have no margin. We're not having fun. We're getting burned out. Um, how do you press the, the pause button or the rewind button? What are some of the practical things you did, not only for yourself, but for your team in, in a period like that?
1: Well, there are seasons and there's seasons of, of the year that are busier than others, right? I mean, the week, the month before Easter might look a little bit different than, than June. Right. There's seasons of that. So Martha and I, we realized there's certain seasons where she knew I'm, I am might be, might be a little bit more busy. You know, the first year is pretty crazy. And I don't think I did it great. I don't think you want to imitate what I did the first year because it was, it was 24 seven and it wasn't necessarily the best way to do it. I just know this, that If you don't take a break and don't, I mean, just don't feel guilty about it, then you'll pay for it later. You can either prepare or you can repair. I'd much rather prepare and and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to disappoint somebody right now, but that ministry opportunity will, will still be there later. Um, Then have to repair later. I mean, nine out of 10 won't retire as a minister. So something has to be done different. Mm -hmm. And I, for a long time, we were not even good at taking vacations. And it wasn't just me, our whole family. Like, we were all, we all loved the church. And my kids were serving and I mean, if we're going to take a vacation, it has to be planned well in advance because my kids are like, Daddy, I can't leave because I'm I'm leading worship for the kids this Sunday, you know? <laughs> Martha's like, I've got a, you know, freedom training. It's like I've, we've got to plan it ahead of time because my, my family loves the church as much as I do, and they serve, and they, they're all in. So you, I've learned I've got to, like, plan ahead of time and make it a priority, right? Does that help you any? Yeah. Awesome. I think the, the prepare, not repair. Yeah.
2: Awesome. I think, like, in that, if you're not used to taking a day off and your staff's not used to taking it, you just have to do it. And everybody's going to be like, I don't have stuff done. Yeah. You know what? We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, you may have a rough Sunday or you're, I've got two points instead of three because that's all I got. But, you know, you just have to say, okay, we're starting now, you know. And everybody takes a day off and, and, and then you'll find a new rhythm. I also think you, and this is where... Um, Kind of freedom comes in, but you also got to check your heart, and why am I giving the church so much priority? Is it feeding something in me that's broken? Is it feeding like I'm not leading really well at home, and everybody loves me at church, so I'm giving the church my attention because I don't have what it takes to lead at home, and that's frustrating. you know what I mean? So you' it's some 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 coaching or self-evaluating to go. why am I, why is the church, you know? getting so much, what's it feeding in me, you know, in an unhealthy way.
1: I've also real quick, I think every few years, a pastor should take a sabbatical. Are you a senior leader, senior pastor? I think still, awesome. Well, this, this might even be more important. Seven R's of a sabbatical, seven things you must do. I did a sabbatical a few years ago. I waited way too long to take one. Um, but these are great principles to, if you want to take an extended break, maybe even take a vacation. Uh, first of all, rest take some time just to rest, take a nap, just sleep. So I did that for like the first several days of my sabbatical. I just slept. Um, I didn't try to do anything, accomplish anything. I just slept. And number two, reflection. Reflect on what just happened. What what have I gone through? Maybe there's some painful things that you experienced. Maybe some victories. Just, Just reflect. Don't try to solve anything. Just reflect. Number three, do some reading you know, read something that re- refuels you, replenishes you. Like well, Martha said, just like a day off is not just like sit on the couch and do nothing. Like neither is a, a sabbatical. Sabbatical is not sitting on the beach for seven weeks and doing nothing, right? It's it's, it's, it's There's a purpose to it, right? And reading is part of it. Uh, relationships. This was huge for me because I thought, well, I have to isolate myself because I turned off my phone and I was not on social media. I wasn't getting email. I mean, I was unplugged for like, what, two months? But but I did, I still had relationships. So if we had a guest speaker that came in and preached for me, I may not go to the service, but afterwards he would come to my house and we'd have dinner. So I'd spend time with Greg Surratt and I'd spend time with, with great friends in ministry. And we would talk about it. I would travel and... Meet with pastors and pick their brain. So it wasn't like I lived in isolation. Uh, recreation, do some things that are fun. I went fishing. I like to go fishing, so I went and caught some mahi mahi. And then, um, uh, cr- uh, what was I say? Recreation. And then reconnaissance. Uh, reconnaissance would be setting up an appointment with Chris Hodges, or setting an appointment with you know a pastor, and saying I- I- I'm trying to figure something out. Give me give me some ideas for how I can break this barrier. Or I can, my I can improve my family or I can whatever it is, right? And then lastly is reentry. So the last thing I did was I went to a church conference and that was the first time I saw my staff uh, in two months. And we wasn't doing work. We were attending somebody else's conference, but we were in the same room. It was kind of a reentry. How's it going? How was your break? Great. There wasn't a lot of. We weren't at the office. It was just a sl- sl- slow reentry. And then I was back in it after that. So those are the seven R's that might be helpful. If you're supporting a pastor, that might be something you could encourage them with. Tim Timberlake, tell people about the impact that the I Am book and all that has had on your church and your life, and as you've kind of walked with me through a lot of that too, and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. For sure, I think
3: um, just the promise of, of what God declares to us through this book um, is what we need and so much more, you know, when he's talking to his man and, and, and he says, who should I say sent me? And he says, tell them I am sent to you what that, that statement and what pastor Matt has embodied in this book is everything you need God to be. That's who he is. And so those 31 promises declare that over your life and, you know, in, in most months it's 31 days. And so each and every day, take one of those promises and declare them over your life and see them fulfilled in your life every single day manifested in different variations. And I just think Pastor Matt Fry has written an incredible book of the promises of God declared over your life as a friendly reminder of who he is to you and who you need him to be in your life in this season. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and gather around uh, your word. We thank you, God, for using the gift of Pastor Matt Fry to communicate your gospel to us. And God, we ask that you would pour uh, back into him everything that he's poured into us. And God, we ask that you would just seal this word in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.